So we're kind of getting to the third, the third Jesus, yeah, Jesus said, uh, beware of practising your righteousness before others. And the first one that he did was uh, giving to the poor. And then the next one he did was prayer. That was what Dan spoke on two weeks ago. And tonight we're doing uh, whenever you fast. And so we might even just go straight to that uh, passage there in Matthew 6, 16 to 17. Whenever you fast, this is Jesus speaking. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus here we're in the, is in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Mount is the, the articulation of who he is. And so these words that come to us from Jesus this evening are to strengthen us and for us to hear, to listen to, and, and that, that's actually, um, these words are an articulation of who Christ is in us, of who the Spirit will be in us. They're not something that we should, I suppose, listen to in the exterior and then seek to achieve. This is Jesus uh, giving words to what the truth is, who the truth is. He is the truth. And this is what the truth is in us. This is what the truth will be in us. Uh, as a bit of contextual background to what Jesus is saying here, there were the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm sure you'll be familiar with those categories. The Jews were the ones that God had chosen to be and called to be his people and had called out from amongst the nations who did not know the one true God. And he said, I want you to come and know me. And there was the Jews and there was the Gentiles. And um, the, the Jews were... Um, there, there was lots of different sects within the Jews, I suppose you'd say, but they had become a people who were very religious. And what I mean by that is the, the, the Gentiles, I suppose, were the epitome to the Jews of what sinfulness looked like, of what disobedience and what uh, straying from God looked like. And so what uh, often... I suppose the, the uh, epitome of what that looked like for the Gentiles or one of the ways that, that the Jews would describe that is that the Gentiles were eating and drinking. The Gentiles had come eating and drinking. They had come uh, satisfying the pleasures of the flesh, satisfying the desires of the man separate from God, the man removed from God. And so this was called, I suppose the Jews would refer to this as eating and drinking. And it was a summary of what the flesh was. It was a summary of what, the, what sin was effectively. And um, you'll often hear Jesus challenged by uh, the Jews saying, uh, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. You know what I mean? He eats and drinks with sinners and tax collectors. In other words, he goes in the way of the Gentiles. He goes in what they do. He's caught up in what they're doing. 
the Jews were characterising themselves as not eating. They were saying, um, God had said to them, or, or they knew that the eating and the drinking was, was sin. It was, it was being carried away in the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the things that, that are wrong, the things that, that are, are aroused in us in a world without God. And the Jews were saying, uh, we don't do that. We don't eat and drink. We fast. And uh, you'll remember the parable that Jesus tells or the story that Jesus tells of the, the Pharisee that comes into the temple and says, God, I thank you that I am not like other sinners. I fast twice a week and I tithe everything that I get. Whereas this tax collector, he eats and he drinks. And then the, the tax collector comes into the temple and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If we go to the parable of the older brother and the younger brother, you remember the younger brother goes and spends the father's wealth on the inheritance with prostitutes and with wild living, with eating and with drinking, with the lusts of the flesh, with the desires of, of what I want, the younger brother goes. And then he repents and he comes home and he comes back to the father and the father rejoices, my lost son has been found and he kills the fattened calf. And the older brother hears of this. And I think we have these verses on the screen. But he answered and he said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The younger brother has been living, eating and drinking, following the desires of the flesh. And he comes back to the father's house. And the older brother says, for years, I have been restraining myself. For years, I have been not following the desires of my flesh. I've been holding back. I've been following your commands. I've been fasting, not eating and drinking, fasting twice a week, maybe more. And, and you won't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends? You see, the Jews were working at the level of the flesh still. They were seeking, thinking, believing that there was a virtue that they could achieve of themselves in the flesh. Maybe this example will, or this illustration will kind of bring the truth a little bit more to your mind. Um, what we do now at the beach, now that I'm a dad, the thing you spend most of your time at the beach doing is building sandcastles. And uh, one of the ones we'll often do is if there's a bit of a river, we'll bank it up. You know what I mean? I don't know whether you've ever done that, but you, there's a bit of a channel or a river and you throw all the sand in front and you, you dam the water from going out and you build it up and you build it up and you got to really throw it. you got to keep throwing sand because that water is trying to break through. You know how fickle sand is, you know what I mean? The water's forever trying to break through and you're damming it up as much as you can. You're getting everyone involved. It's awesome fun. It's really good. 
This is what the Pharisees, the Jews were seeking to do. Think of the river as the lusts of the flesh, the desires of this is what I want for myself. I'm going to go and get it. And the Jews, the Gentiles, they just, they just followed. They said, I want to eat and drink and I'm going to eat and drink. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to indulge the flesh. There's, there's nothing. This is what I'm here. What else have I got to live by? And so I'm going to go after what I want to go after. And, and so that's why the Gentiles were always worried about what they're going to eat and drink. You know what I mean? There's a sense of, of what else is life about. The Jews, however, had been called by the one true God. And God had said, do not be like them. And so they had lived in this place of, of damning the, the flesh. Um, not damning in the sense of <laughs> sending to hell, but you know what I mean? Like stopping the river. I'm going to inhibit. I'm going to restrain. I'm going to hold back. I'm going to fast twice a week. The, the, the eating and the drinking that the Gentiles do, no, that's not, we're not to do that. We're to fast. And here... Jesus comes eating and drinking. And here Jesus comes saying, you're fasting. It doesn't mean anything. Jesus is saying, whether you eat and, and follow the desires of the flesh or whether you restrain yourself at the level of the flesh, it doesn't actually matter. The Jews, um, how often, let just bring it back to ourselves for a second, because as soon as I do this, you'll understand exactly what the Jews were doing. How often we who have been in the Christian tradition uh, look out at the world and those within it, and we see the way that they're indulging and we, we see the way that they might be doing things, eating and drinking, and we restrain and that res- the, the very restraint is what we use to justify ourselves. You know what I mean? And we say, oh, they're, you know, they're doing that, but I'm not doing that. I'm holding back. And, and we use that holding backness as our as our justification, we, we're really saying the world might be adulterous. The world might be um, free-flowing in, in this type of sin and this type of sin, but we have restrained from the act. We have not done that. And this is our righteousness. And this is what Jesus means when he says, do not practice the, the, the Pharisee who who comes out and he mourns and he says, look at my restraint, I'm fasting twice a week to get the praise of men, which is really just an an inward posture of self-justification of saying, look at my righteousness because I have done these things at the level of restraining in the flesh. Jesus is saying there's no righteousness there for you. I think a really simple one is, uh, I don't know whether you've, ever, whether you've ever been in a place where everyone's been eating together and you've seen people who've rushed in to, you know, get the food first and get as much as they can for themselves. 
And you've sort of thought, oh, well, I don't do that. You know what I mean? I'll hold back and, and I'll be gentle and I'll come, you know, at the end of the line and this type of thing. And we think that because we do those things, that because we act like that, at that level of doing, we have a righteousness, that we are right, that we've done what is correct, that we're okay, that we're in, in, in the right, on the right side of the ledger, so to speak. And Jesus is saying, whether you come in and grab everything and, and be the first and take so that there's none left for anyone else, or whether you sit back at the end of the line, looking at those people, judging them and saying, I'm not doing that, I'm doing this, Neither, neither is actually the way that, that you are to be. Neither is being. The older brother says, for years and years I've restrained. But you know, the thing was, he still was in it for the father's gifts. Do, do you notice that? The younger brother has gone and burnt it all on prostitutes. He comes home and the older brother says, you've never even given to me one lamb so that I can celebrate with my friends. He didn't care about the father. He was still, his eyes were still on the, the things that the father could give to him. Even in his restraint, what he wanted was the things, the very things that the Gentiles were going and just indulging in with no qualms, the very things that they, they, were, they were going and doing, really the, the Jew still wanted, the older brother still wanted. Neither eating nor fasting in itself as an action at that level means anything. And this was very challenging for the Jews. This was very challenging. They had, they had built their national identity and therefore their personal identity on this very fact. And it's a very challenging thing for us who've, who've grown up in the, in the Christian tradition, in fact, because the restraining... It's to say the restraining means nothing, that there's no righteousness in it. It's sort of like, well, then I've missed out. You know? That's the very reaction that God wants us to have, in fact. Because he wants us to see that our eyes are still on the wrong thing. That our eyes are still on the things of the earth. We didn't read that passage on the screen, but this is why immediately after Jesus' teaching on restraint, fasting, you know, holding back, thinking that we have a righteousness because we hold back, his teaching goes immediately into this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I was sitting with someone yesterday and they were telling me, uh, about a rental property that their son bought. Uh, it had been a rental property and he bought it at an auction. And they were telling me about the state of the house when, they, when he bought it. And they said that every wall had holes in it from the tenants just punching it, uh, punching the, the plaster in every single wall in the house. 
they said six to eight trailer loads of rubbish was in the backyard just to get to the grass. They had to empty six to eight trailer, like this place was just absolutely destroyed, absolutely rotten, totally, totally run over by the, the anger and willful disregard and, and sin of these people. And as she was telling me this, it just dawned on me that that is the state of creation apart from God. If you just take God out of the picture, that is the true, what you see there, if you think of that house, just total willful disregard, um, complete flippancy and selfishness, that is what humanity, the, cre- the creation is, without the creator. But we, we see that and we say, well, we're not really like that. You know, we've, we would say that there's some good in us. We curb ourselves and we, we do what seems to be right. But, I, but Jesus is saying here, as much as it seems like it on the surface, really what is underneath if God is not there, the only thing that is there is that, is that chaos, that destruction, that selfishness. Without God, that is what creation is. Whether it looks like it or not. The thing that we need to do is to turn unto God. Creation of itself is, is darkness, is wrath, is chaos, is anger, is, is selfishness to the extremes, in, into infinity, in fact. And that's what we will always be until God comes with his presence. And as God comes with his presence, it's like he, it, it all comes into order and it is all restrained. And the love of God, who is God, the love, the Holy Spirit comes and he orders it and he brings light into that darkness and purity and perfection and beauty. And so Jesus says, don't fast, don't restrain for the sake of managing appearances, for the sake of saying, hey, look, we've cleaned up our lives. We don't do what they do. We don't run with the pagans in the way that they go. No, no, we've got ourselves cleaned up. He says, don't do that. Take your eyes off doing that. Turn unto me. Come into a hidden fast. Just as you, just as you have come unto your Father who is in secret in prayer, now, now come also draw into the hidden place with a hidden fast. Put on your, your oil. Put on your good clothes so that no one will know that a fast is going on and come into the Father and seek for the treasure that is in heaven, for the beauty of heaven. Store up your treasure in heaven. Ask God for His presence in your life. Ask God for the truth to come and to indwell in the hidden place of your soul. See, see that whether your life is clean or whether it is a chaos, it is darkness and it is wrath unto infinity without the presence of God in it. And so come into the hidden place and ask 
for the Holy Spirit to come. Ask for the bread of life. I love that video there. In, that gave the perfect example of what Jesus means when he says fasting. The King Darius, he was dismayed. He said, I cannot eat. He wasn't not eating for appearances. He wasn't saying, look, come and see how holy and righteous I am because he's not eating. He's saying, I cannot eat. I will not touch food until I know the presence of God, until I know the truth, until I see the hand of God come and deliver Daniel. There's a mourning in King Darius. There's a sense of nothing is right here. And so the, he's lost his taste for food. Listen to this passage. This is a beautiful passage from Jesus again in Matthew 9. You see, the, uh, John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples came to Jesus and said, your disciples eat and drink. Come on, they're running with the pagans. And, and he says, no, no. Don't, don't think about fasting in the way that you used to think about it. He says, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. The days will come when Jesus has left the earth and the disciples are saying, oh, but I need that. That man, what he had, that needs to be in me. Without that, I don't care about food. What good is running, is what the pagans have without the holy thing that was in Jesus? That is what I need. And so they will lose their taste for food until the Spirit comes. Their fasting will be a sense of, oh God, you must come. You must come and indwell me. It will be a craving for the bread of life, not for the bread that the pagans run after, but for the bread of life. If you think that's such a perfect picture, think of, I don't know whether you've ever been in a bridal party, but just think for a second of, you've all been at a reception. Think of a reception for a second and look at that, that front table where you've got the bridesmaids and the, and, the, and the groomsmen. And now take the bride and the groom out of the picture and think of, how, think of the groomsmen and the bridesmaids sitting there. They're kind of like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we eating this wedding food if the bride and the groom aren't here? Let's go home. We've got better things to do. That's the picture. What good is the things that the pagans are running after unless the God is here. <laughs> who wants the things of the world without the God who made them? Who wants the creation without the creator? This is what Jesus is saying. The bread of life. Philippians 3.19 For many walk of whom, I don't have this on the screen, for many walk, Paul speaking, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. Why? Because their God is their belly. Their God is their stomach. Their God is the appetites of the earth which are perishing, moth and rust which destroys, whose glory is their shame, whose minds are set on earthly things. But then he says in Colossians 3.20, you've died 
to the elementary principles of the world. Don't live like they do, saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Don't, don't live just restraining these fleshly desires. He says, these things have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and so the, the severe treatment of the body, but they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. And then he goes on to say, set your minds on things above. Hunger, hunger for the presence of God, hunger for the life that is really life. I was thinking this morning, just as I was reflecting on this, uh, on this sermon. You know, when you're an infant, if you boil what the human is in, in its biological, physical life, you need to go down to the starting point and you think of the infant. What is the infant? The infant comes out of the womb entirely helpless as only an appetite. All George came out of the womb saying was, I need milk. He said, I, I can't do anything unless I have milk. And truly, if he did not have milk, there's nothing. George came out of the womb as an appetite. And all of the food that have has been given to him over the last 12 months, he's won this week, has meant that he has grown up. But his stature now, he's grown from this long to this long, that growth is only a result of the food. I know that his body's metabolised it, but if he did not have that food, he would not have gone from this to this. Now, I'm standing here six foot one, and I've eaten for 30 years, <laughs> and I still eat. And my biological life is a result of the food that I've eaten, literally. If I did not eat that food, I would not be six foot one. I'd actually be dead. And the, the water, sorry, the food and the water. All of the fruit that my life has borne, uh, well, I've had kids, I guess. That's fruit in that sense. But, um, you know, I've, I've done 10 years of work. I've studied for however long. I've got to the point where I can use English language and I've got to the point where I can, I can play the guitar and I can read books. All of that, all of any fruit that has come of my life, what's a res- what is it a result of? The food that I've eaten and my metabolism of that food, which has enabled me to actually bear fruit. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Who we are is an appetite. And as we eat biological food, physical food, we will grow and we will bear fruit. We need to eat spiritual food. That is the only, that is the the, the true need of every heart and every man and every woman is to eat of the bread of life. And that is God, is for God to come and to to put himself in us. We actually, it's like we are ingesting God, is, is what Jesus says. He says, my flesh and my blood is true food and true drink. It's, and as we, as God, as we seek for God, come and say, God, you are what I need. As we see our lives that are wrathful and angry and putting holes in walls and and destroying things and selfish without God. We see that and we say, God, 
this is not right. And so we turn unto him and then we begin to eat. And as that happens, the son of God is born in us. The infant of Christ that is in us at the moment, which is a hunger for God, there's a hunger for God in every one of us, receives that food and it begins to grow in stature. Jesus says, if you will remain connected with me, if you will keep eating from me, if you will keep taking from me, you will grow up and you will bear much fruit. And so Jesus is saying, this is the fast. This is the true fasting. To take your eyes, not to do good things and to restrain yourself from doing the wrong things. Not to look at our lives and to say, hey, what I need to do is not do all of those things that the, that the, the pagans do. What I need to do is not to say, okay, I won't commit adultery and I won't do this and I won't do that. No value for restraining fleshly indulgence. I want to quickly, as we finish, read to you this, this one little passage uh, from this book. Madame Guyon was uh, a woman in the 1600s from France and she writes this, <clears throat> translated uh, from French to English through a, hundred, a couple of hundred years as well. No, self-denial is not the answer. Even when it appears to have worked, what self-denial has actually done is to charge only the outward expression, sorry, change only the outward expression of those desires. The pagans were running after literally the food and the drink, but the Jews had begun to run after their own righteousness, still in the flesh, still working at the level of me apart from God. When you deal with the externals, what you are really doing is driving your soul farther outward from your spirit. The more your soul is focused on these outward things, the farther it is removed from its center and its resting place, God. The result of this type of self-denial is the opposite of what you sought. Unfortunately, this is what always happens to a believer when his life is lived out on the surface. And then she says this, your main concern, therefore, is with the presence of, of Jesus Christ. Your main concern lies in dwelling continually upon the God who is within you. Then without particularly thinking of self-denial or putting away the deeds of the flesh, God will cause you to experience a natural subduing of the flesh. You can be sure of this. The Christian who has, a, who has faithfully abandoned himself to the Lord will soon discover that he also, he, has, he also has laid hold of a God who will not rest until he, God, has subdued everything in us. Your Lord will put to death all that remains to be put to death in your life. And so this is uh, Jesus' word to us this afternoon, is to come out of the appearances, to come out of living at the surface and saying, well, you know, what it means to be a Christian is to not do this, this and this that the non-Christians do. What it means to be a Christian is to uh, clean up my act and, and do the right thing here and live according to the rules, maybe even fasting twice. It could be serious devotion. It could be... Um, it could be going to every prayer meeting at church. It could be going to church twice a week. It could be 
innumerable things, getting all your doctrine right, you know what I mean? Working, going to Bible college for years and years and years, having all the ducks in the row, it's all working at the level of the flesh. Jesus says, take your eyes off of that and come and ask for the presence of God. Ask for God to come, for God to be revealed in us. Ask for the true food, the bread of heaven that God will give us himself. Say, God, apart from you, I am chaos, I am disorder. Will you come and bring your presence into my life? And uh, that's your word. Thank you, Father. This is exciting. This is true living, Father. I know that each one of us understand the dissatisfaction of living a life in the flesh, chasing after the things that pagans chase after. Living a life, believing in a world without God, where there is no God, and so we're reduced to the things that we see with our eyes, taste with our tongues, hear with our mouths, understand with our reason, position in the world, wealth, fame, all of these things, Lord, maybe even a righteousness of our own through judging others, feeling good about ourselves, that we've done the right thing. Lord, thank you, Father, that we do not need to run after these things. Thank you that your word to us tonight is to turn our face to heaven and to say, Father, without the bridegroom, what are we? Father, we don't want to eat without the bridegroom. We don't want a world without God. We don't want a soul without God. And so, Father, I pray, thank you that you are ever-present, that, that not one person who turns to you, you will drive away. Every man, every woman who turns to the living God will be saved. Every man who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be saved. Thank you that we need not... A masters of theology. Thank you that we need not to, to do this and to do that. All we need is to express a heart's desire for the living God and you will come. And so, Father, may you find a people who are truly fasting in the hidden place. In Jesus' name, amen.